Church. Uh, my name is Laurel, and I am one of the ministers here. We have been in this series called Produce, where we've been talking about how to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. And the title of our series is meant to capture one of the major tensions that we encounter when we're trying to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. Because this isn't a series where we look at a list of things that scripture says that we should be and then force ourselves to produce those things by telling ourselves that we are going to be more loving and more patient and more joyful. Instead, this is a series about intentionally rooting ourselves in God so that as a result of that relationship, the Spirit of God will grow in and through us the kind of produce we want to have, the fruit of the Spirit. It's not about pushing ourselves to produce more and better, but about rooting ourselves so that we cultivate the produce of the fruit of the Spirit. We've been repeatedly saying throughout this series that the right root produces the right fruit. It's all about where we're planted. And that will allow us to have the fruit of the spirit that we need when we need it. Which is why this week we are talking about how to root ourselves so that we can produce the fruit of faithfulness. Faith, faithfulness, are words that we see a lot in scripture and that we use a lot in church, but we don't often stop and talk about what they really mean. When we look at the original language, faith and faithfulness are pretty synonymous with trust and trustworthiness, meaning dependable, you can count on it. This shows up in our prayer lives in an interesting way. And not just in the fact that you have to have a little bit of faith to pray in the first place. But when we pray, we usually end the prayer by saying, what word? Amen. Right. Which I have always said because I grew up hearing it and knowing that I was supposed to repeat it because everyone else did. But it was a really long time before I learned what that word actually means. Amen is a Hebrew word, which means it is trustworthy, meaning I can trust God to hear my prayers and keep all of God's promises. Amen. It is trustworthy. 
Which is why I want to take a moment and look at Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 1, 18 through 22. He writes, But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him, it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Now, just to give a little bit of context, in this passage, Paul is addressing the fact that the Corinthians are concerned that his word isn't trustworthy because his travel plans changed. Paul told them that he was going to return to the church in Corinth before going to visit the church in Macedonia. But there was a crisis in Macedonia, and Paul ended up going there to help and sending the Corinthians a letter instead. And so because circumstances changed and Paul didn't end up following his original plan to return to the Corinthians immediately, the Corinthians began to question whether or not Paul was trustworthy. If he made and kept promises the way the rest of the world makes and keeps promises, by saying yes and no in the same breath, so you can't really count on it. And you've noticed this, right? how some people just can't seem to give you a yes or a no, even though a yes would be great, but you could also totally handle a no. I can remember so many times when I've been getting ready for the weekend and thinking, I might have plans, but I'm not entirely sure. Like, I will have said, do you want to get together this weekend? And they will have said, that sounds good. What does that mean? Or we make plans without ever actually setting a date and time so it doesn't actually happen. I am so guilty of this. Someone will ask me, would you like to grab coffee sometime? And I'll say, sure. And the plans never go any further than that. And this whole phenomenon is so common that it's baked into our language. I watched a video recently that was making fun of how this works in modern English. And he pointed out that if I say, yeah, no, that means no. But if I say, no, yeah, that means yeah. Yeah, no, for sure means totally. Yeah, no, yeah means maybe. And no, yeah, no means absolutely not. And this whole lack of commitment thing that's so prevalent, it's baked into our language, isn't anything new. Which is why the Corinthians were worried that Paul wasn't the kind of person to keep his word. This passage is Paul's answer to that criticism. Paul writes that the Corinthians don't need to worry about whether or not Paul is trustworthy 
because he keeps his promises in the same way that God keeps God's promises. Listen to the text again. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him, it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. And this is how we can begin to root ourselves in the faithfulness of God by understanding that God doesn't make and keep promises the way that the world does, by saying yes and no and avoiding commitment. God makes promises by saying yes and amen. It is trustworthy. Yes and truly. Yes, and you can trust me to fulfill what I say. That is good news. But the even better news is that Paul also shows us in this passage that we don't have to wait for the proof that God will keep God's promises. We already have that evidence in Jesus. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you, was not yes and no. But in him, it has always been yes For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. In other words, Jesus is God's answer of yes to every promise God has ever made. All of God's promises are proven trustworthy in Jesus. Which begs the question, what are the promises that we find in Scripture? Well, the promise that God will not abandon his people, the promise that God will defeat sin and death, the promise that God will forgive our sins, the promise that God will make justice roll down like water and righteousness like an ever-throwing stream, the promise that God will wipe away every tear and create a new heaven and a new earth. We don't have to worry about whether or not God will keep these promises because Jesus is the fulfillment of them all. And we can root ourselves in that truth. And because the right root produces the right fruit, when we are rooted in God's faithfulness, our faith and faithfulness grow. And this is a big deal because everything we have is founded on faith. If we cannot begin to grow and develop our faith in God's faithfulness, we've got nothing. Romans 1, 16 through 17 reads, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. As it is written, the one who is righteous will live 
by faith. Faith is everywhere. We have faith in God. We are righteous because of faith, and God is revealed through faith for faith. And there's an important relational dynamic that we need to acknowledge there. From faith, as in the faith of God, to faith, as in our faith. One inspires the other. It's a relationship, and it's rooted in faith, which is why we need the fruit of faith. So we need to root ourselves in the faithfulness of God. We're going to talk about that a little bit today, how the fruit of our faithfulness can grow when we are rooted in God's faithfulness. My friends and fellow ministers, Donald and Elsa, are going to help me with that. Here is Donald to tell you about what that looks like in his life. The amazing thing about God is that he never asks us to do the things that he either did not do or would not do. He does not ask us to be what he is not. Therefore, he asks us to be faithful because he is faithful. Experiencing his faithfulness in our lives every day is what inspires us to be faithful to him. He is faithful in small things and he is faithful in big things. He is faithful in honoring the promises that he makes in his word, the promises he makes to you and me today, he faithfully honors. According to Hebrews 13:5, God promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus, his son, made a similar promise at the end of his ministry on earth. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. You and I could wonder why God would show his faithfulness to us, his creation. Here is the point. The faithfulness of God allows us to have faithfulness in God. In the summer of 2011, I was scheduled to do two short-term mission trips to Zimbabwe with this church and also with another church in Iowa. I was a seminary student at Emmanuel at the time. My travel visa was about to expire, and it was prudent for me to have it renewed before the trips. Renewing my student visa from my country was complicated, so I opted to go to the U.S. Embassy in Juarez, Mexico, just across the border from El Paso, Texas. I had gone there twice before in 2007 and 2009, and the renewals were flawless. A week before the trip, my family and I started to pray for my trip to Mexico as well as for the two upcoming mission trips to Zimbabwe. There was a heaviness in my heart that I couldn't explain. I shared with one of my very close friends to cover me in prayer. Deep within me, the restlessness lingered on. However, my family and I reminded ourselves about the faithfulness of God. After all, I wasn't going on vacation. I was going about his business. On Tuesday, the 7th of June, 2011, my wife, Maud, saw me off at our local Tri-Cities airport. I was scheduled to return that Saturday, the 11th of June, 2011. However, on Thursday, the 9th of June, 2011, 
at approximately 3 p.m., the U.S. Embassy in Juarez, Mexico, denied my visa renewal. I was devastated. I couldn't be allowed back into the United States. My wife, Maud, and four children were in the States. All of them were at different levels in school, from elementary, high school, college, and seminary. I was 11 months away from graduating from the doctoral program that I had worked hard for, and this was it. I had two teams with nearly 40 people that were banking on me taking them to Zimbabwe to serve God with our ministry there. And that now hung in the balance. Going to settle in Zimbabwe at the time was not an option because of security concerns. I was suddenly stateless. I had hotel money for one more night and a non-refundable ticket back to Tennessee. Juarez was the most dangerous city in the world at the time. I knew nobody in the city except for my travel agent, who was best in El Paso. The Zimbabwean economy had crashed in 2008 and swallowed all our savings, investments, and retirement funds. Therefore, I had no money. I didn't know when and how I could be reconnected with my family. Were my kids going to be raised by one parent alone? To say I was in a pickle was an understatement. I had so many hard questions for God. I had always counted on his faithfulness. But for this, I don't remember sleeping that night. More than the kids here in Johnson City didn't sleep either. The following morning, Maud got a call from my friend who wanted to know the outcome of my visa interview. Maud apologized to him for not calling him as she was overwhelmed with so many calls. She told him I was denied. It was at that point that my friend shared with her that while praying for me the previous night, he experienced a vision in which he saw innumerable angels descending on Johnson City and literally covering every square inch of the city. Shortly thereafter, he said he heard the voice of God giving charge to angels. Go to Mexico and rescue Donald. Instantaneously, all of them shot off in the direction of Mexico. The vision ended and he then realized I was probably in a crisis. That was the reason he phoned Maud that day to find out my, the status of my visa renewal process in Mexico. That testimony of my friend's vision was what reminded us that God had not abandoned us. He was in it. It rekindled our hope. We started to overcome the disorientation that had set in. We trusted God again believing that the faithfulness of God allows us to have faithfulness in God. We thought that the release of the angels in the vision was going to turn around my situation very shortly, considering their divine consignment, their numbers, and their agent dispatch in the vision. Little did I know that I was going to be 
transit in this city for almost three months. Three migration attorneys wouldn't take my case on appeal because they thought it was an untenable situation. Only the fourth one agreed to take it up. Here is how God demonstrates his faithfulness. Several churches across the United States, including FCC here, called their senators and house representatives. Many churches and individuals in the United States and several countries went on a prayer vigil for me. People I will never know this side of heaven paid for my hotel for 77 nights. Most Sundays and Wednesday nights, I was invited to preach at several churches around the city of Juarez. I was invited to be one of the main speakers at a four-day citywide prayer vigil for the city in their main stadium in the work of the violence in the city. There were representatives from across the country, and the event was televised. After my messages, hundreds came forward to give their lives to Christ. The moment I stood on the podium to preach on that Thursday, on 1 September 2011, my phone started to buzz continuously in my jacket pocket. The U.S. Embassy in Mexico and Senate offices in North Carolina started phoning me to invite me back to the embassy to renew my visa the following day. One of my friends called me to say, Donald, I now understand why the Lord kept you in Mexico for this long. He wanted for you to preach at this vigil. The temptation is for you to come straight home tomorrow after you collect your visa. But your main message is scheduled for Saturday night, the 3rd of September 2011. I beg you, Please wait until you do that final sermon before you come home. I did, and a few hundreds more came to the Lord. I saw the faithfulness of God in my plight. It reminds me to remain faithful to him in those moments when I get discouraged. It is clear, therefore, that the faithfulness of God allows us to have faithfulness in God. When we are rooted in God's faithfulness, our faith and faithfulness grow. One of the ways we can be rooted in God's faithfulness is by looking into Hebrews chapter 12 that says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The author of Hebrews is trying to say to us a lot in these three short verses. The first one is about witnessing. The author says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. 
And I would like to stop for a second here and talk about what does it mean to us to be a witness in this context. The translation of this word into English has two definitions. One, a person who sees a thing. They witness the act. And two, a person who testifies about a thing. They are witnessing the act. We often get confused about this because it is common in our culture to go to a courtroom and be both at the same time. We go to the stand and we are witness. We witness the act and we are testifying about it. But Hebrews 12 is not really focusing on the seeing part of things. This chapter is focusing on the testifying part. Hebrews 12 is a response to Hebrews 11. The testimony of the people listed in Hebrews 11 encourages us to be faithful. The author of Hebrews 12 refers back to these witnesses these are people that can testify. If you go look to Hebrews chapter 11, it's a list of people that can testify that when they trusted in God, God was worth trusting. One after another, when they trusted in God, God was worth trusting. Hebrews 12 wants to make sure that we hear these voices because this was true for all of them, Today, this is true for all of us as well. When we trust in God, we will discover that God is worth trusting. So Hebrews 12 is telling us that we can run confidently because we have a testimony that God has been faithful to others. That is what the author means when saying, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that a lot of people can testify to the reliability of God we are surrounded by people that can bear witness. And Jesus is one of these witnesses. This is the second thing that I think Hebrews is trying to tell us here. It says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such a position from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did he suffer such a horrible act? Because he trusted in God, that that was his path, a path of glory, a path to goodness. The author of Hebrews wants us to pay attention to this. We are called to do what Jesus did and continue on. Running the race set out for us with faithful endurance. So why can we trust God? First of all, because all of the witnesses, they trusted in God. And what they found out is that God can be trusted. Jesus trusted in God. He found out our God was worth trusting. And if you trust in God, what you will discover is that God is worth trusting. When I moved to the States, it was a huge leap of faith. I didn't know what to expect. I knew God gave me a calling. But Carlos and I 
you know, we were going to start from zero, a new life, no friends, no work, no idea how we were going to pay rent. But we trusted God. Of course, other things came. Paper wood that we needed to renew. Even just recently, we needed to renew our visas. And I fear for that. You see, I didn't remember that God has been faithful to us every single time. I keep worrying about our paperwork, of course, and life in general. And as I prayed, as I read Hebrews 12 and prepared myself for this message, I remember. I remember that I have never need to struggle, that God has always worked out finances and other miraculous stuff related to our moving. And everything has been about faithfulness. We just need to remember, and I don't do it really well sometimes. I refer back to Hebrews 11, recollecting all of these stories, recollecting my own testimony in the past, remembering that God has never left us alone, that he was worth trusting, and that God is still worth trusting today. So I invite you to go look back to Hebrews 11. Just what I did, study the lives of Abraham, Moses, the Israelites. Go read Hebrews 11. Read about these witnesses. What you are going to see is not that they were great people. Some of them were, some of them weren't. What you're going to see in their lives is that God was faithful. In the book of Hebrews, as it tells us these stories, it says by faith they did this and by faith they did that. The author uses that word repeatedly to talk about the faithfulness of people and the faithfulness of God over the curse of history. That same faithfulness over the curse of my history. That same faithfulness over the curse of your history. And that is what Hebrews 12 says. Look at the history. Look at what God's history of trustworthiness. So how can we practice faithful endurance? By rooting ourselves in the past faithfulness of God. By running the race like Jesus, who also trusted in God's faithfulness, through Jesus, all the promise of God are kept. We can practice faithful endurance by rooting ourselves and remembering the past faithfulness of God. Because as Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Remembering this over and over again allowed us to remember that God is trustworthy. And the more we understand the faithfulness of God in the past, it will allow us to have faith in God in the present. Amen. The faithfulness of God in the past points to the fact that God will be faithful to us now and always. I love Donald's testimony because hearing his testimony of God's faithfulness helps me trust God more. God's faithfulness is true in our personal lives as Donald shared, and it's also true in the biblical witness as Elsa showed us through Hebrews. 
And she reminded us that the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness to God can't be seen any more clearly than in the life and ministry of Jesus. But sometimes I forget about God's faithfulness. I get scared and I lose sight of how trustworthy God is. And I begin asking these really scary questions that almost always begin with, what if? What if it doesn't work out? What if that person thinks this? What if I fail? What if I fall flat on my face? What if they talk about me? What if I dress up as Elsa from Frozen for the church Christmas park and there's a blizzard and I don't have a coat or a change of clothes and our car slides backwards down a hill and we have to spend Christmas Eve at the Quality Inn, hypothetically? And one what-if question often leads to another what-if question and then another until I send myself down a dark rabbit hole of what-if scenarios that never lead anywhere but to worry anxiety, and panic. And something that I've found that's been helpful to me in rooting myself once again in God's faithfulness is to challenge myself to ask a different kind of what-if question. A what-if question that is rooted in the faithfulness and identity of God. What if God really is who he says he is? What if all of his promises to you are true? What if he really is in control? What if he really does love you as much as he says he does? What if he really has overcome the world? What if he shows up for you and changes everything? What if tomorrow you have all that you need? What if the answer to all of God's promises really is yes and amen? What if? Which means now I get to ask questions like, what if I'm faithful and God's faithful and God uses me? What if I offer to pray with that person that I feel nudged to pray for, even though it seems really awkward and it's exactly what they needed? What if... I share my faith and they don't feel judged or offended or laugh at me and it turns out to be a really meaningful conversation. What if I invite them to church and they actually come? What if I take that leap that God's been calling me to and God brings so much good out of it? What if I do fall flat on my face but They start laughing and I start laughing and it turns into a really meaningful conversation about grace. What if I believed that the answer to all of God's promises really was, is, and always will be yes and amen? What if we believed that just as God has been faithful in the past, faithful through and to Jesus, faithful to Donald, faithful to Elsa, faithful to me, and faithful to you, that God will be faithful in the future. And so because God is faithful, we can be faithful to God. What if 
we really believed that? And what if you really are as valuable as the price he paid for you? Another way that we can anchor ourselves in the faithfulness of God is through this meal of communion. The meal that is the memory of what God has done through Jesus. Communion is one of the ways that we root ourselves in the faithfulness of God because through it, we are reminded of God's faithfulness to keep God's promises. Because again, Jesus is God's answer of yes to every promise God has ever made. Jesus is the amen, the summary of all that God has done as trustworthy. And communion is a tangible reminder of this truth. If you missed the elements on your way in today, just raise your hand and one of our ushers will gladly bring them to you. Online folks, now is a great time to grab whatever elements you might have available so that we can all participate in this meal of communion together and to remind ourselves together as one church that the God in whom we put our trust is the same God who did not even withhold God's one and only son but gave him up for all of us. And that in him, in Jesus, we have the ultimate example of what it looks like to live a life of faithful endurance by ultimately sacrificing it for our sake, defeating sin and death and rising again. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. Then Jesus took the cup, saying, This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. As often as you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, you are so faithful to us. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, and for this weekly reminder of just how faithful you are. God, help us to root ourselves in that truth. Give us the courage to trust you and your faithfulness. And in return, to be faithful, to step out in faith for you. God, we love you. And we ask these things in the powerful name of your son, Jesus, who is alive right now this morning. Amen.